Hi, before we start today's show, a quick word to all violinists and violists out there listening to Stand Partners for Life. I am accepting applications right now for the Virtuoso Master Course for 2023. That's my year-long transformational program. Violinists, violists of all levels who are really passionate about making a change in your playing, just go to natesviolin.com VMC5. That's VMC like Virtuoso Master Course 5. And I would love to talk to you about how we can work together personally next year. Hi, and welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. I'm here once again with my stand partner, Kiko. Sometimes stand partner. Right. Not this past week, um, which was a, a fun and eventful week at the LA Phil, so we can't wait to talk all about it. Um, thank you once again for joining us. This is, by the way, if you haven't listened before, where we spill the secrets of the symphony um, without losing our jobs. Um <laughs> Yeah, we take you behind the scenes with the repertoire of the soloists and conductors that we've had in the past week, and yeah, lots of fun. We've got some some categories to go through. That makes it sound not very fun, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's homework, just a, homework to do. No, it's a fun way to organize our our thoughts and uh, yeah, make sure we don't miss any of the good moments from the week. Um, repertoire this past week and and personnel we had uh, our conductor was. Um, now <laughs> I keep confusing, uh, the two brothers, so he may know. Right. Well, I mean, I don't know the other one, so this is more we confusing for you. <laughs> well, also the other part that's confusing is, uh, that his first name is Gustavo, um, who is right. also the first name of our music director. Um, but Gustavo, who may know, um, has a violinist brother. Now, Gustavo was formerly a percussionist, right? Yeah, somebody somebody sent me a clip of um, a Concertgebouw concert where, yeah, you can see him. Like, he was a member of the Concertgebouw? Uh, I'm not sure, but he was playing percussion. In this clip he was, all right. Yeah. He I, does he have very, very good Very rhythm. well may have been, so yeah. No, I, I enjoyed working with him this week as, as I did the other time we saw him in the summer. That was the famous Hummingbird concert right i think we we brought that up before <laughs> yeah he accidentally killed a hummingbird on the podium well he did it on purpose he didn't know it was a hummingbird <laughs> he, right okay he killed it on purpose thinking it was a bug um later felt remorse um but no i, I enjoyed working with him this week um piano soloist uh was javier perianas and um so the rep we had we opened with a shortish piece by uh francisco cole and uh, yeah no relation c-o-l-l i'd never played any music of his had you no um uh although i thought he was recently programmed and you you, you didn't end up playing that either oh okay right so this was my first exposure to his music a piece of his called aqua chinarea and um i think the last thing that was programmed was black mirror which I think it was famously, famously incredibly difficult. Oh, okay. So lucky I missed that. Yeah, I think, ah, that was, it was supposed to be, it was one on a part, but there was some talk about 
having like extras sit in the audience like in case or something oh in case someone gets sick yeah because it was so complicated yeah I've, i've had that role before that's super annoying you have to come to all the rehearsals and sit out there and watch yeah i don't think i've done that but i remember you had to do that for the messian right right Nobody got sick, so. (laughs) Um, Remainder of the first half was Camille Saison's fifth piano concerto, a.k.a. the Egyptian. Um, So that was a chance for our soloist, Perianis, to do his thing. And then the second half, Shostakovich, fifth symphony. Tried and true, but... uh, Hopefully not tried and true. No. Composition of that piece was anything but <laughs> anything but simple. However, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the backstory. Um, so with the coal, um, Jimeno this week told us that every piece he composes, he also paints. He paints a picture to go along with it. Right. He's. I mean, he's got to be like you know synesthete. So that's those folks sort of see if they see colors they hear sounds and no, they, well, they, see, they see sounds they hear colors okay <laughs> um and yeah the so messian was a famous one huh? right and was, was does he have a messian connection no i forgot um not that i know not not other than that was nabokov also yeah that sounds that sounds right okay um i forget if it was like defined as such but he um he talks about how um, letters letters have colors to them for him. So like sounds, hmm. um, like a word, like the the sounds that make up a word have various colors, so that words end up being sort of like hued. Well, it, it is amazing to read him in English, since he wrote in both Russian and English. And, mm-hmm. Right. I mean the the sound of the words is so pleasing so satisfying and yeah yeah and i guess that's part of the genius of it it's like hits on a couple different levels um but yeah so i supposedly there was a painting that went with this this piece and yeah i guess all his pieces but um and it was blue okay right because aqua yeah i guess what was humano's story he asked him why is it called aqua cinaria and he said he said it's just it just is blue looks it feels like blue or something yeah it's a good enough answer i guess yeah. they didn't show us the painting which which i um, said actually did your internet research produce the painting is it is it no i i couldn't i couldn't see it although i, hmm. I read that there's a blue there's a gray component to it too is that the chin or <laughs> I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know my apologies to the italian speaking <laughs> podcast listeners um yeah maybe that's the gray it's like bluish gray <laughs> but um well i mean obviously in um italian gray is a different word but maybe it's cinders or something maybe yeah i i really enjoyed playing it and i wasn't entirely surprised to hear so this the story was that he composed this when he was 19 i think and Somehow it came into the hands of Thomas Addis, who, whose music we love. We get to play a fair number of his compositions here in L.A. And Addis, being a you know much more senior composer at that time, 
saw something in it and eventually uh, ended up teaching excuse me for the ding <laughs> that was ended actually up... me texting you the def def definition of chinarea oh thanks uh, across the room yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah i guess the uh Addis ended up mentoring him we saw was there one there was a four six bar in this piece yeah it gave me the willies because um and we, we managed to get through it the four six without too much too much damage but um it did it did bring me back to um march of 2020 um when you know that oh you were not gonna play in that group correct uh, i had originally been set to play first violin in addis's piano quintet with that as the keyboard i was really looking forward to it had to back out of that group i forget what interfered with it so you were going to take my place no i was going to play second oh you were always going to play gonna second play first okay um but mm -hmm. the the problem with this piece or the problem as i saw was that, um it had meters like they were called like four seven and like 11 what were they 11 15 oh it was like any two random numbers you could put together and there was the violist uh finally came up with a you know well, you the mathematical did solution i mean you came up with that and then... yeah you end up like the bar it ended up being like a metronome mark of 20 for the bar or something so then if it yeah, i'm already lost but yeah <laughs> so if it was a 715 bar then each 15th note would be 20 times 15 oh, so dear. you'd have like, oh, brain hurts <laughs> um whatever it was was not something I wanted to do while attempting to play the violin at the same time. Um, <laughs> can't do a lot of things while you play the violin. I don't want to make pandemic jokes, but it's not even really a joke. It was just, you know, when I first heard things were getting canceled, like midway through March, I was like, I don't have to play that piece. <laughs> and yeah, it was just, it was going to be such a, 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 just a cerebral mess for me. You know, so, um, well, anyway, so, oh, he got okay. us back by uh, oh. being there when we played his well, string quartet Arcadiana. So I felt like we were injuring him grievously with that performance, but I, th I think the orchestra did did justice to his protege's piece. Uh, the Aqua Chinorea was, so. you know, we yeah we liked it. And I think you know it's the kind of thing where you wish you could get more comfortable with it. Um, yeah, well, hopefully, I, I looked up. You know, he's written a fair amount of chamber music as well as symphonic, so. Um, you know, that's something we could program maybe at our chamber music festival. Yeah. I mean, they're shorter, they're shorter pieces. The string quartets are more like five, six, seven minute pieces. I'm sure the work per minute is probably like off the charts. It's good for us. <laughs> All, right. All right. This is, it's official. This is your fault. Okay. Um, anything to say in general about the Sansons piano concerto or, um, sure. You know, I mean, I, um, it's kind of the thing I did last week when this met now, which really <clears throat> doesn't, doesn't make me seem so open-minded, but I, you know, I sit down to play and I'm like, Oh, there's this. And not in first reading. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just not that familiar with Sansons. Other than a few, you know, of course the, of course the violence not is actually maybe my, what I think is one of his strongest things that, Mm -hmm. I know. And third violin concerto. I keep saying eyes. Yeah, I mean, I never liked the third violin concerto. Milstein did. I recently read. Uh, 
guess we don't we don't agree there. I mean, actually, I no, actually that's not true. It's, it's totally, it's it's totally fun. It's just another one of those pieces that was ruined by you know, like they're uh, studying it so in- intensely, right. and, you know, and um, trying to play it, you know, quote unquote perfectly, and it was just. So I think I just as soon as I was done with it, I was like, that's it, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna pay attention to this piece anymore so there's there's that plus there's always like you know snarky jokes you can make like where's one and two you know like (laughs) i mean like i just i don't know why three is the only one we hear but presumably it's the only one anyone wants to uh, hear maybe maybe that's what i could become famous for yeah i can start touring with champions one (laughs) Um, i guess the fifth piano concerto this one was uh a big success critically and to the public in its time but well you know well that's so i sit down to play it and i was just like what what there's a famous one right there's a famous sansons piano concerto this sounds really uneducated i'm like you i'm not i I don't there is (laughs) a big catalog of this (laughs) this isn't it um anyway you know this is a really attractive piece in the end right yeah even you know that our our soloist i ran into him backstage and he was saying it's nice sometimes to play a piece where you know you you don't necessarily have to carry the big idea for half an hour Uh, you can think of it episodically and it's charming and you know make make each bar count and play beautifully and and then the music sort of takes care of sounding great yeah and i think the audience responds to that too it's not you know it's not exceptionally profound People don't always want that. It's, so. It is very interesting, the sounds. So it's called the Egyptian. And I, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm stepping on some half-baked, half-baked research for later on. But um, part of the reason it's called the Egyptian is because he wrote it while he was in Egypt. Hmm. I always think reason? of, yeah, it's, it's I, I think of Egypt as, you know, this remote and forbidding place that would be hard to travel to. But um People traveled widely in those days, especially him. I guess he he loved he loved life. Um, he was not not a big family man. It sounds like. Um, he oh, is had, that what your research turned up, or you, is this is this hearsay? Um, well, there is a lot of hearsay that you can read about if you want to. But what's for sure is that he did have a brief marriage to someone much younger. But it was even at the time it was suspected that he was doing it just to keep up appearances um because he he always lived with his mother basically his whole life so even as a married man they lived with his mother which was not much to the young wife's tastes um and that didn't last super long but he i mean he traveled all over he just loved playing concerts Hmm. people loved him and he was a piano yeah Yeah, and so he wrote this piece. This was his last one. It was pretty late in life. Um, So he wrote it for himself to play at a concert that was honoring himself. (laughs) (laughs) It was a jubilee to mark the 50th anniversary of his debut at the Salle Pleil in Paris. Um, So he took the role of soloist for the premiere, and it was a big success. Hmm. Was Was he very wealthy? Was he, like, comfortably off? Um, it sounds, uh, it sounds like not, not extraordinarily, although he had a lot of admirers, one of whom left him a lot of money. 
Okay. Um, and I think eventually his touring, yeah, allowed him to live a comfortable life. Um, but yeah, wrote it. He was in Luxor when he <laughs> wrote this thing and it does. Yeah. It includes, I guess, you know, some of it is not particularly Egyptian, although he, uh, well, I'll get to more of that in the half-baked research, but. Oh, I think we kind of, of assumed styles. it was like a little bit of a hodgepodge. Yeah. As, as a lot of things, they, they, they weren't, he wasn't exactly Bartok going around, uh, recording yeah. <laughs> native <Strict> people's ethnomusicological <laughs> travels. Um, Shazakovich five there, you know, there's a ton we could say about the piece before we get to our own <laughs> fraught histories with it. Um, but right. I mean that, so many of you may know that Shostakovich had his, uh, had a, a bad and scary period with the Soviet authorities, right? Cause back then you couldn't just write or paint or compose whatever you wanted. And, uh, yeah, freedom of the press and all that wasn't, wasn't like that. He was watching his friends and relatives get taken away and perhaps never to come back. And, um, for a while he composed the way he wanted, but just before this symphony, he wrote an opera lady Macbeth and he was working on a fourth symphony at the time too. And, um, who should show up to the opera for a performance, but Stalin <laughs> walks into a box and, um, didn't, didn't much like what he heard. Um, or who knows if, if whether it was his opinion or those of his advisors, but, um, yeah, an editorial appeared in the big paper the next day called muddle instead of music. Then at the time it was you know whispered that stalin himself had written this editorial and i guess later on that's that wasn't the case but hmm. it was assumed or feared that stalin had written this and yeah just a total total takedown of shostakovich and yeah the consequences of that back then could be fatal. wait and this was for this was for the opera lady macbeth. lady macbeth uh -huh. Which I've always kind of wanted to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, people do it. And, the you know, the other piece that he was working on at that time, the Fourth Symphony, I guess at first he thought, well, I'm not going to let this, you know, scare me. I'm still going to put on my Fourth Symphony. It was really influenced by Mahler. And um, I, I guess they went so far as to do a couple rehearsals and then the presenters... Yeah, but between the presenters and Shostakovich, they said we're we're not doing this. So he he had to say I'm withdrawing it, even though he didn't mm. really want to. Mm. So he worked on this fifth, and you know what he what was his quote? He 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 wrote at the time that it was a Soviet artist's creative response to justified criticism. So some some coded language there, and has the big triumphant finale which you know you could interpret in a straight way or you can say that it was exactly the opposite meaning right that it was making fun of the authorities or yeah any number of interpretations um it's the great thing about codes yeah i mean rostropovich even once a yeah he had a different take on the ending um in a few minutes, I'll talk about a famous Bernstein recording that you've probably heard at some point too, but 
yeah, Bernstein played it, conducted it in Russia with Shostakovich there, and so felt that he had, you know, a certain authority about how the end would go, which was fast and triumphant and everything. And Rostropovich, you know, who had lived through those times with Shostakovich, conducted the end very slowly. And he said, like, each of those repeated high A's at the end is like a, another stab in the side of a prisoner who's stretched on the rack and it has to be slow. And he even claimed that if you read Shostakovich's book in Russian, there was a coded message that told the real meaning of the symphony. But yeah, that's hmm. more than we could understand, I guess. Maybe we should play it backwards. That's true. <laughs> Actually be very similar. Um, so a, a massive piece and right. I mean, you're free to bring all that into the work. It's a little hard to totally ignore that or just to enjoy it as I did as a teenager. Just, it's true. <laughs> and what, really and what awesome is it? What is that sort of, what draws it, us to it, you know, in our youth and why does that persist? I don't know. It's kind of like, I feel like for, for kids who grew up going to church or, you know, doing church camps or something, there's always like a, the book of the Bible that all the teenagers get drawn to is the Ecclesiastes. <laughs> it's like the one with all the woe is me and these like raging hormonal emotions. And I feel like the Shostakovich symphony appeals in that <laughs> way. If, if you're looking for, you know, loud and mm -hmm. it delivers. Yeah, and I guess it's playable by like a high, you know, I mean it. Yeah, well, when when is the first time you played it? Yeah, pre-college. So. Yeah, I played, I played the first and the last movements in youth orchestra. Yep, Central Kentucky Youth Orchestra. I remember the the audition that year was just the entire last movement first violin part you had to prepare the whole thing oh that's pretty hard which seemed i think the first movement's harder though don't you yeah well we'll we'll get to the category of like what's the actual hardest yeah violin part um but at the time the last movement right now it, it does not strike me as super difficult but it's fast and it went up high and i'd never played anything like it so I'm sure that a uh, shift to the high E sounded really great. Yeah, terrible, terrible back then. Um, yeah, well, I, I'll be honest, it didn't sound great this week with me by myself either. So. <laughs> well, you don't know because you're sitting in the section, so you no, can't even tell what. I can hear, I can hear, I heard myself not nailing it. Um, I even got the chance to conduct the end of this piece. Um, what? Yeah, Mrs. Stoyanovich. Our uh, conductor let anybody who wanted to step up and try to conduct the youth orchestra just for a minute. And so it was the, the end of the last movement that she let us do. So I had just heard that Rostropovich recording. In the, oh, you were killing him. That's right. Yeah, in the University of Kentucky library. And so I thought I'd try that slow tempo. And yeah, I didn't, <laughs> didn't realize the brass were all turning blue back there. They, <laughs> it was too slow. <laughs> they don't burn. <laughs> so I was reprimanded. Mm, Boo-hoo. Just kidding. But yeah, did you did you have a recording of this that you were? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I did. I feel like I can almost see it actually. Like, this 
CD cover. But yeah, the CD cover for me, it was this Bernstein one. It looked like an old newspaper. I know, it, it I was, know which ones you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it was like that. It was like a like a beige background with like yeah. a big black block print. Yeah, exactly. Um, Almost like a propaganda. I feel paper. like it must have. Yeah, but they had a whole series like that, so I don't think it was just this piece. True. Um, no, I think I no, I I thought maybe it was like white with like blue and red on it or something. Um, I feel like it was New York Phil thing. I don't remember, but I'm sure they've made a number of recordings. Yeah, I mean, oh. I'm sure I have heard them play it, but I don't. It, but I'm like my some pieces I really have like a very strong memory of listening to the recording over and over. And this is not like I, we were talking last week about Brahms or Brahms symphonies or um, the Prokofiev piano concertos, Elgar and Walton violin concertos. So this was not up there with no i mean this but you know i mean we actually played in fact when we first sat down to play it and i was in high school it was very obvious that i didn't know it particularly well because <laughs> i <laughs> i did the uh, the thing that will later we'll, we'll go over again but yeah i came in i came in with the cellos well we can talk about that now because it's uh yeah it lives on in la phil lore and I think it lives on in their recording archives somewhere. But... Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing that could happen to anyone, but it happened to a former colleague of ours. And right, the cellos and basses come in first and the violins come in next. And, um, you know, in this concert, one violinist came in with the basses and cellos and, um, yeah, came in with with authority, as they say. Yeah, this particular colleague didn't have a non-authoritative um, way of coming in, so yep. he really went for it. So, yeah, we, we all, <laughs> I feel like, you know, and every time I remember this story, because, you know, we were both there for that, I feel like my bow is almost magnetically drawn to the string in the beginning i i almost have to sit with my bow oh i'm the in opposite I, like, I don't want to come in at all <laughs> <laughs> well the thing did, didn't you play his violin after he left for, Supposedly, a, for a time i don't know if he was really playing it so much but yeah did you ever play this piece on that violin <laughs> i think so i feel like we made jokes about it like like do you does it sound does it sound familiar to you i know i from? well so you know the violin i play the jack benny it's like how much terrible playing was done even in jest on on that violin and you know what is it just waiting to come out at an inopportune moment it's haunted <laughs> to burn some sage over it <laughs> maybe that does explain all the out of tune notes that i play <laughs> um i think i think you've exercised it i i really think it's yeah it's hitting its stride you slash it um i mean as far as first times playing the other pieces i know this was our first time for the coal mm-hmm. and my first time as far as i can tell for for the sensons piano yeah. concerto yeah. okay so no other first times there um all right let's let's go through some some categories we'd like to start with this uh you know pretend dinner party ah the uh, dinner party which which uh, of these composers might you like to dine with I mean, Sanson seems like he might be a kind of a lively, good time. Yeah, I think he would. Bon I think vivant. he would have some some stories to tell. Um, well, yeah. okay. Here, here's an interesting 
thing Cole about him. Cole was the easy pick because he's still alive. Right. <laughs> and, you know, great last name. Even yeah, if it's I mean, spelled you, differently. Your, your, opening, your opening conversation is already <laughs> determined. <laughs> not how long that would last. But. Yeah, I, I've started conversations on a lot less than that. Hey, you know, I want to see his paintings. I wanna, you know, I've got some, some questions to yeah. ask him. I've never conversed with a synesthete. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah, I could be like, you know, my, my annoying voice. What color is that? <laughs> is that like brownish yellow? <laughs> like, uh, some hideous colors, really nerve grating. Um, yeah, Shostakovich. Yeah, wow. What a life. I mean, I'd have a lot of questions. I, f- I feel like I would be... I'd, I'd almost not, there'd be a lot of subjects I'd be afraid to broach unless he broached them first. Um, I just, yeah, when, when someone has seen that much, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'd, I'd, I'd just stick to the music. I think I'd ask him, you know, how old were you when you figured out you could spell your name? You I, know, I don't, I don't, notes. I really don't think this would get us very far. Oh, I mean. I think we should stick, we have to pick, pick one, so. Oh, or you're just rating them as dinner guests? I, I'm just imagining, yeah, I mean, it, it could be all of them. It could be none. Um, or sure, we can pick a favorite. I, for me, the easy favorite is Sansons. I think he could just talk about, he knew everyone. Um, he, sure, he okay. He taught Foray, who taught Ravel. I guess in his, he took over um, as, as the piano instructor at the school he went to. And I guess guess at that time you know the so-called the modern music was frowned upon and Mm -hmm. because he could play everything at sight he would delight his students by ending every class with the clandestine you know he he would bring in the scores to the newest wagner or list cool pieces and he would play them this music that no one none of them had heard before of course no recordings back then and i I guess at that time tough to catch a live performance of of those composers um around paris so yeah they just they idolized him because he was showing them the newest and greatest stuff that they couldn't get anywhere else Hmm. that was very cool and then late in life he really (laughs) he kind of he didn't like the turn things were taking, so he was no longer the champion of the mm, the, the I see. new and modern. We'll, we'll talk about that more. But um, okay, all yeah, right. I think that would be. I'm, I'm sure he'd sure he would know his wines. <laughs> all pre eighteen whatever. Oh yeah. When, when was the big? There was some some year when that. Was it a fungus, phylloxera, whatever? It did like destroyed oh, all the, and so they had to replace all the rootstock. And yeah, I so can he, talk about that. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have to ask him about that. <laughs> what about that fungus? <laughs> any any great rehearsal interactions or conductor moves you're thinking about? Um, well, I think from the funny ones since it was Thanksgiving week we um yeah our conductor kept referencing the fact that it was thanksgiving week and 
This happens every season, by the way. It's like, you know, it really does divide up the week. It's the only day off we get, the Thursday. Right. So then Wednesday, you're working, you know, through the afternoon and then go back Friday morning. And anyway, so as we're just kind of used to it, but he, he kept talking about a rehearsal on Wednesday, especially the afternoon. He kept saying, you know, I know, you know, you, you've got, you've got this big thing that you're doing tomorrow. So, you know, here there's going to be a lot of drinking, like a lot of alcohol. Yeah. And, uh, so like, why don't we just play it one more time you know so that increase the chances you'll remember it on friday morning we were laughing and he's very amiable and you know we're, we're like oh yeah it's really funny but he he kept making references yeah i think every time he mentioned thanksgiving it um it sounded like like more and more like he was expecting we were all going to be having this kind of like debauched celebration yeah we're just gonna know, be flat he, on our backs by the end of the day, barely able to crawl into work Friday morning. Yeah, which it was it was really funny. We were all wondering where he'd heard about you know because he's Spanish, I guess, but mm-hmm. live, living in Toronto. So we're like, maybe American Thanksgiving just you know sounds like some kind of just bacchanal. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm sure we get the wrong impression about. <laughs> it may be it may be wondering what other things we have the wrong idea about but. well it's like when i was still living in chicago and i went and did that competition in europe and all the i met the other competitors and they were like i was the only american and and they would say you're from chicago I'm like, is, is it so dangerous like do you have a gun you know do are there gangsters all around I'm like i realized they're still watching those you know jimmy durante movies from <laughs> i think it's like like the fake movie from home alone yeah, yeah, yeah. Angels with filthy souls. <laughs> um, pump your guts full of lead. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I don't know what Thanksgiving movies Jimeno had seen, but... Yeah, Gustavo. Yeah, Gustavo Jimeno. Oh, I thought you said Emmanuel, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, and hopefully he had a fun... So maybe his celebration was like that. Yeah, maybe that's what he had planned. He's, so. He seemed in good form Friday morning, so yeah. I, either he has great tolerance or, or he was only talking the talk <laughs> but yeah that that's true that that was really funny i there was one i i thought he was a great physical conductor i mean in terms of the i hate talking about technique but all that was very clear <laughs> there was one move i wonder if i can describe it but it was in the scherzo of the symphony and it looked like he was a dealer at a, at a poker table or a blackjack table or something it looked like he was dealing cards you know first with the right hand then the left hand um yeah we, we oh, had this I, maybe i'm thinking of the same one which where was it yeah it was in the scherzo um yep oh yeah actually the first time i thought it was it was very distracting yeah it was there was kind of a shuffle and a because it's a little bit of like dealer kind of like a strange moment for pitches you're really I and mean, it's not bad but you're, you're just trying to concentrate and i look up i'm like what is he doing he was <laughs> thing was like it was kind of left right left right thing with yeah, his exactly. hand. It was, to me it looked like a windshield wiper oh that's a yeah that's another good it was weird like a, and i sort actually, of a jazz hands yeah I, I tried to look at him one day while we were playing and i realized i just it was scary and i was gonna have to because i know the piece you know this, we all do but i still was like it's, there's still a chance i could end up in the wrong 
place pitch-wise, which would not be good. <laughs> okay, we've got audition potential for these pieces. I mean, Shostakovich, that's well established. There's a big section in the first movement. Well, at, at least two big sections, actually, um, that, that are often in auditions. And, and sometimes the last movement as well. Then there's the concertmaster solo in the second movement. So all those are already on auditions, and I, th I think for very good reason. That solo is yeah. a tough character. Which one? The first piece? Or? No, the well, the second movement solo. Yeah. That's well, a... you know, my biggest problem with it. Wait, what? Oh my! I can never, I never have any confidence about those the glissandos. Oh, sliding to the harmonics. Yeah. Yeah, that's. You know, and you can choose what string to do them on. Do you slide up the E string, A string? Yeah. And the first one's actually not technically a harmonic. I forgot that. Uh, right. It doesn't have to be. So, yeah. It, it's uh, I, I always find it a tricky one to decide on the character. And I, even that tastes have changed over time. Because I, I think in the in the old days, like those recordings that we were talking about, admiring everyone would slow that solo way down and play it you know more sweetly yeah and th but there's actually no tempo change marked there and so it seems more and more you know i've heard it where the tempo stays the same and it's played a little more sarcastically um yeah, a little faster sarcasm, than comfortable good yeah it's not a it's not cute are there was there anything in the other two pieces that you you could really see on an audition that was nothing was coming to mind for me uh well that cole had that crazy um hva passage that's true yeah it had the the high stuff i mean that could be a sort of a, a novelty pick yeah kind of in the way like john adams sometimes right not even sentimental music i know for a while that was a thing here yeah um yeah, I could see that, and then, but the obviously the sound sounds no, there's nothing. Um, yeah, I mean I've had one terrible audition experience with Shostakovich. Uh, was that the quiet thing in the first yeah. movement? I just, it, and the more I look at it, the more I'm like, well, I mean, of course, the solution, a, a partial solution anyway, I think is. Um, I mean, of course, any anything that quiet, uh, the more still that it feels to you, like the worse it's going to be. Um, right. You're not allowing yourself to move at all. Yeah. I mean, it's going to feel like you're trying to skate from one end of a pond to the other without moving a muscle, <laughs> um, which, you know, which is the experience I had. It felt like it took a year to get through it because <laughs> shaking like a leaf. And yeah, it's just, it can be just awful. And, you know, now... When I play, even even in orchestra for a long time, it was scary, especially after that. Cause I think it was, you know, really, you know, trauma is a thing, and you know, you're really still thinking about the last time you played or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think now either maybe it's a combination of not playing it too soft, and definitely thinking of um, like just you know the energy of each note. It's not static, right? You know, and the more you can, and you know, sort of. You know, generically, you think of one note growing to another note, but even something basic like that can help um, sort of de 
<laughs> de-statify it. Yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I, I remember just thinking, my God, you know, if I if I make any sound, you know, if I or if I'm a little too loud, they're gonna hate it and they're gonna just throw me out of the audition. And it's like that. It's really not what anybody's looking for. Yeah, if anything, I mean, they'd rather hear it shaped, you know, and really, um, for whatever reason, I wasn't thinking, I think, you know, that was an audition where I think we talked about how, you know, I had played for people, thought I did everything right. And in fact, I was just somehow, like, really reducing the time it took me to go from, you know, not freaking out to full blown panic mode. I was like, really, by the time I got there, it was like, I was an expert. I was like, (laughs) now's the time I freak out. Um, (laughs) That's my cue. (laughs) There's I'm walking out, panic attack. So yeah, I feel like the, this excerpt reared its head, right? One of those moments that it was just, you know, but looking back, you know, but anything looking back, even five minutes later, you look back and you go, you know, what was the big deal? It's, it's music. It's, it's flowing. It's a flow, you know, but when you're out there at the audition, it can feel that, you know, no flow. Yeah. <laughs> low, low flow. Yep. The low flow shower head. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I want to, I want to interject just cause I feel like my role here is often to just, you know, be like the, uh, the sympathetic year. If anyone else has had similar experiences or is having similar problems, you know, there's some ideas I'm putting out there to <clears throat> alleviate. Well, also what I like about that excerpt though, is that the violas get it a couple minutes later and it, it so. sounds so hard for them I, I always feel like it, it always sounds good and i'm always like how you know those are big shifts they're awkward intervals well so many of those first violin things you know we play them and everyone's looking at us like oh you bunch of dopes why can't you sound good and at least that one time another section has to go through it a couple minutes later and we could you know not and that's my chance to be magnanimous oh, but like it's so I'm, much more embarrassing though because like our instrument's easier so we should be nailing it you know we're not. They're allowed to, you know. In fact, I always I think the sound in a viola solo like that. Not to we're not. This is not time to bash the violas. I think the sound is supposed to reflect that it's very difficult. Is a it's awkward to play. It's not supposed to sound pristine. True. I mean, because he could have written that just for the violins again. Yeah. It's, you know, he he knew what he was doing. Without turning into Bramvall Tovey here, it's I think it's slightly <laughs> it's a pained sound. Um, same thing with the Mahler, the Mahler one viola moment. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I suppose the expectation now is that it, it's more pristine, which I think is kind of a shame because, um, in general, for personal reasons, also, I think anything veering towards expecting pristine is, is not a step in the right direction, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so these, you know, these are things I know you know, we and our colleagues stress out about. That's a, that's a good point. Um, not, not meant to sound perfect necessarily. Although, yeah, when you go into an audition, it's hard to expect anything. Sure. But in some ways, I mean, I think you have to think about how it's a little easier in audition. Um, and that sounds crazy, but the pitches anyway, I mean, I think it can be hard to find your pitches when you're like, in a little forest of people as opposed to, you know, I think if you if you have to find an upside to playing it by yourself in front of a committee, it's like, well, at least you have control over, that's true. You know, hearing where those pitches go. That's true. Any 
earworms from this program? Anything that got stuck in your head? Yeah, that piano concerto, right? For you too. Yeah, it's true. I think maybe because it was new yeah. and just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, sounds like he, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, you know, again, it's the second week in a row at least where I was humbled. Ah, ah. <clears throat> you know, by my initial dismissive attitude that you know came around and i was enjoying it and the other thing is the audience i mentioned the audience response before they liked it you know they were having a good time Mm -hmm. um that's you know not for nothing well again i mean it's inspiring and i've mentioned to you only about 80 times in the last few weeks of (laughs) reading or rereading this Nathan Milstein book, but it's true. I mean, people used to write music for themselves to play. And, you know, part of what makes that such an effective piece is that he wrote it. He was a pianist and he wrote it for himself. And it just really ripples out of the instrument. He was totally at home with the instrument. And, you know, Milstein laments that they're when he, at the time of these interviews, which I think were probably the 1980s, he was saying there aren't any more Fritz Chrysler's or Vinyowski's or Paganini's, you know, nobody's writing music uh, for themselves to play. So I, I do hope we get a return oh, to that. Vinyowski, of course, was a yeah. violinist. Of course. I mean, I think I knew that, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tough when we don't have the benefit of those recordings, you know, we have to rely on written you know eyewitness testimony and and all of that i mean sarasate at least we we have recordings of him from when he was 60 mm-hmm. but we we can't hear him in his prime even then he was great hmm. um and that uh the bach e major preludio yeah according to him he was he was 60 he was about 60 oh interesting and still playing it like 50 percent faster than <laughs> anybody plays it now <laughs> I was going to say he only had to play first page, but that's not. <laughs> it was only in the Sherlock Holmes. Well, I think he had to play it so fast to fit it onto, you know, one oh, right. side of a 78 I RPM. I never would have made it. <laughs> Same with Heifetz's Moto Perpetuo and Scherzo Tarantella. Those all had to fit under like four minutes. How interesting. Okay. Yeah. Forgot. Um, let's talk. Uh, well, did you have any embarrassing moments? I'm going to take a slightly different tack on this, but the embarrassing moment was actually not my embarrassing moment, but it, it's so weird. And I, I really feel like it's an example of this sort of ESP <laughs> that can, <laughs> that can go strange. on in an orchestra. But yeah, in the, in the middle of the third movement, the second violins have a line and the way our parts are written, we can see all the violin lines in our music. So I, I was, resting and i actually resting, had my resting comfortably yeah i had my eyes cast down you know trying to have a solemn <laughs> look and then i looked up to you know see when when i was gonna have to come back in again so i caught the last few bars of the second violin line and as i looked at it i thought huh if i huh if i had to play this line like actually that b right there i'm not sure if that's a natural or a flat and as soon as i had that thought the seconds played that note and about half of them played the wrong note. It, I mean, but it really sounded like all of them. 
Yeah, it could have been. Uh, yeah, actually, it sounded like everybody. And that played. Was, to me, that was the weirdest thing. Was that I mean, everybody can make a mistake, but that at least a few of them all made the same very strange. And I don't. You say that you you think you could. I mean, maybe actually, I've played that line probably. I don't know. It just there's no way that's a B natural. There's no question in your mind. No okay. question. So that made it even weirder because. But I felt responsible. I felt like I caused it's this really weird to I happen. Think you, I think you did. It's a very strange problem to pheromone have. across the stage. Pheromones. <laughs> well, like, a, you know how trees supposedly oh, can, yeah. or ant colonies, right? Like yeah. an, an ant colony from one end to the other can all have the same thought at the same time. Apparently yeah, it's, it's some... official. You're like, you're becoming part of like the, the, the environment of Disney Hall. You're starting to blend in. Um, becoming part of like the wood. Any... Am I am I stepping on any embarrassing moment for you? Um, you mean so? What's in the embarrassing? Program? Is it like this week or in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Is any did you person anything you're personally ashamed of from this <laughs> during week. the week? Uh, you know that was weird. A couple times, just with something you know so well. I think there's like one run up that I, I I kept like sort of barely getting the right note, or like once I just had to stop. It was weird. I. I needed to look, I guess I just never really got around to like the refresher level that I needed on it. And so <laughs> I kept thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be fine. And then it was strange, like the pitches, you know, probably maybe I've turned the corner on an age. <laughs> and like things are only going to start like disappearing, you know, from my, from my skill, from my toolbox. But yeah, anyway, so it was like, huh, that was weird. But it wasn't, you know, embarrassing and it. Anyway, maybe my stand partner noticed. She probably did. <laughs> she wouldn't tell me. I had a memory that I don't know if this counts as embarrassing or I think it's a reminder. It's a reminder to, to sort of keep our skills up and all of that. But um, this is the piece I always think of when I think of an old colleague of ours from the Chicago Symphony, Tom Hall, oh, who yeah. mm -hmm. sat second chair, second violin for so many years. And, you know, he just held himself to the highest standards of um, not only playing, but penmanship or, you know, the way he would mark music. So he was the one who would bring a ruler um, to every rehearsal so that when it was time to mark crescendos or dims or hairpins or whatever, you know, he would he would be able to do them with straight lines. And he was always in the right part of the bow and... Um, if there was a, an energetic tremolo in the music, he he's would be the fastest. And I remember the end of this piece when we have the pom, 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 you know, for two pages. Yeah, it's easy, I think, or it would be easy as a veteran to say, eh, you know, I've played this enough times. I'm going to coast a little bit and let some other people pick up the slack and, um, and, you know, I'll have to admit, I, I was tempted a time or two. The brass is sort of carrying the, the moment there. And um, maybe I don't need to wreck my arm on that. And I would always look across at Tom. And his face was red, using the whole bow for every note. And I was like, oh, man, if he can do it, then I got to do it too. And now now we're that, that person. You know? Yeah, I mean, we're... We need, to be, we need to be the standard bearers of the full bow last page of... Yeah, exactly. I mean, now, you know, now we see, we see people, you know, they're, they're tempted to slack. Tempted or they've fallen to temptation. You know, and, 
we're trying to, you know, I want people to look across and either say like, wow, that guy is so inspiring or at least that guy is out of his mind. <laughs> I was going to say, and, I'm, I would <laughs> be the latter. They'd be like, Akiko looks crazy when she's playing that. So that's fine. I, you know, yeah. hey, if we have, if we did have Shostakovich to dinner, I'd at least want to be able to tell him. He'd probably be like, "You're no, you're doing it all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Take it this easy. Was, was meant to stay in the upper half. <laughs> it's a very Just, lighthearted, <laughs> very lighthearted ending. <laughs> Leggero. Um, goosebump moments from the program. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly thinking of the the symphony. Yeah. For yeah. me, it is it, the, it's maybe not the moment you would think of. I don't know, but the end of the first movement where the violin solo comes in and you're such a concert master. No, it's just, it's so <laughs> bleak. Yeah. Um, after you mean with the piccolo or yeah. And just the, the dissonances there and the, the scales up. It's so reptilian somehow. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. It no, that is a great moment. It is. I think it's just, you know, um, it's weird because I did play that solo, you know, in, in grad school and then I haven't done it since, and, you know, I haven't performed the solo since in a concert and, but I still am like, I gotta get ready to play the solo. <laughs> Weirdly. Um, it's hard for you to enjoy and I that still, moment. Because I'm like, you know, low ranking concert master. It's like, it's a chance that someday, low I'm, ranking. you know, maybe I'd have to play against a partner who's like trying to mentally like shore myself up there. So it's hard for me to like let go enough for the goosebumps to actually kick in. But yeah, it is. It's an amazing. Well, the, still the ending always does get me. I mean, it's, it's meant to. And I I do. I, I always anticipate the audience reaction. Yeah, too. well, that's fun. Uh, it's like the, the Pines of Rome in a way. which is less fraught with tragedy. <laughs> Pines of Rome is less fraught. <laughs> um, and of course, the, the third movement. A couple moments that are great. I it, I think I'm getting old and jaded. You know, it doesn't do as much for me as it used to. Also, you know, I I don't know if we're gonna get to this later. I mean, you know, that kind of weird association with like rehearsal '95 or whatever. Right. And well, movement. Yeah. Yeah. Tell the tell the story. This is... Um. So I mean, so I'll start by saying it was Muti conducting, and he he was fine. So you know, <laughs> work backwards here, so in case. My story makes it sound like he wasn't, but I mean, we got to that. I think we got to like rehearsal 94 and it's really quiet. It's just, it's like, you know, one line of violence playing like pianissimo tremolo. And I looked up at him and he just had this funny look on his face. And then all of a sudden realized he wasn't moving, but he was pitching forward, like falling. But no, he wasn't like flailing or anything. He was just pitching like face forward into the floor. And it was really, you know, scary. I mean, looking back, of course, it's like, well, he's okay. So, but at the moment, of course, we didn't know that. And um, sure, and it's not like he, he's not on level ground when this happens. He's up on a podium. No, and he face planted into the edge of the podium, which I'm not. When I think about, it, I'm not sure how the physics of that worked. But it wasn't. It was like it was like yeah, he hit. Oh, anyway, it was terrible, and you know, everyone's screaming and like running around and it was in rehearsal not in a concert but had it been a concert that would have been probably especially you know chaotic but it was it was rehearsal and most people had the good sense to 
just clear out. Um, so I just, I just like left the stage and like went downstairs and I called you. You were, I think you were on tour with LA. Yeah. So it happened. I was not there because I had won this job, had not officially started yet, but part of the, part of the process to getting this job was to accumulate enough weeks with Dudamel, including a tour they were taking at the time. So you stayed in Chicago. I went on tour with the LA Phil and right. I remember we had just finished a concert in Budapest and it was even, it was an eventful night for the LA Phil because after that concert, they announced, you know, some good news. Gustavo is, uh, extending his contract because that the, he, I think he had just started as music director a couple of years before and you know, a lot of people thought, oh, he's going to bolt the first chance he gets. So, Rookie contract? Yeah, this is the, his first contract extension, and we announced it tonight. So I I was going to call you, but I saw I had a voicemail from you. And right, you're telling tell me this unbelievable story. You know, it was just, you know, I was really shaking, you know, and very, we were all just horrified. And I think we didn't know anything until, I mean, I think we all just, they told us to, to go home. So packed up and left and no idea. And then pretty soon we heard he was, he was going to be fine. So, um, and then not to laugh. I mean, like, I, you know, he's, he's a very handsome guy. And I think people were concerned about whether mm-hmm. he was still going to be handsome after this. Um, and he is, he's, he looks great. The doctors did like this unbelievable job. Yeah. I mean, he looks just <laughs> great. So, you know, and then we ended up playing at his little welcome, welcome back thing or whatever that was. The, the, the thank we played as a thank you to the doctors. It was right? supposed to be a thank you to his doctors. And ended up just being a, a rather, <laughs> yeah, a rather uh, nerve wracking experience for us because he ended up showing up for a rather half baked reading of a Mozart string quartet. I have good memories of that. I think we didn't think we did. Yeah, I, I thought we did well, but it was more, it was like 20 <laughs> was times more pressure than we thought it was going to be. You know be. what's crazy? We played it so much, though, at those kids' concerts. It was like, you think that doesn't really count, but somehow, you know, we're, I feel like. Those are the formative reps. It's true. That's <laughs> true. They're light, but, but you know, high in number, so. <laughs> well, should we uh, close with uh, some, some rapid fire, some half-baked research? sure you, you sound unsure well i didn't research so oh you, are these no, my responses to your half-baked research all right yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> right. Let's, uh, let me throw these throw these facts out there and see and it, see what you <laughs> I'll, I'll try to come up with witty responses now that. some of them we've, we've covered already but um you know this cold piece that we played so he wrote it when he was 19 but uh, he had the chance he came back to it 12 years later and decided that I, I guess there was a whole bunch of transitional material in there, which I is hard for me to imagine because the, it's not as though the piece feels like it's in sections. I mean, it feels like it flows from one thing to the next, like water, but maybe it didn't used to. Anyway, he cut a whole bunch of stuff out hmm. and that's the form, you know, that's the version that we played. All right. Well, I approve of, you know, cuts i mean like if a if a composer looks at a piece and says it's 
doesn't belong here. Like I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, it it just makes you wonder which other pieces, which other composers might've done the same for works of theirs. Like Bruckner, I guess was all, if, if anybody, if a critic or a student said, Oh, you know, this, this part kind of sucks. He'd rework it and tear his hair out. What's the Simpsons thing? That's what, that's what (laughs) he left out. He left in must've been pure gold. Yeah. I'd like Bruckner. <laughs> I, I can't so, imagine it going on longer, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we played the pure gold version of the, the coal. Um, we talked about the Sansons, the, the Egyptian concerto. The, the, um, <laughs> there's a part in the second movement, you know, one of the most sort of quintessentially, I suppose, Egyptian sounding parts is apparently a love song that he heard a boatman sing when he was riding in a boat on the Nile. Okay. It's the part that sounds suspiciously like the cello concerto. Mm. It's like dun 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 It sounds like dun 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 now, yeah, we talked earlier about how even if earlier in life he, Sansons, had, you know, really been into the the latest musical fashions, but by the end of his life, yeah, he was not a big Schoenberg slash Stravinsky. It's a tough. It's a tough uh, era fan. to span, you know. So I guess for a while that you know, <laughs> this uh, premiere of the Rite of Spring, nineteen thirteen premiere of the Rite of Spring, probably had more stories told about it. I think, you know, over the years, however, like 20,000 people have said they were at that concert, which, you know, the theater only holds so many. But um, so for a while, the story was told that he had angrily stormed out of the premiere of the Rite of Spring. Well, it it turns out he wasn't even there. But um, the first concert performance, not ballet performance, but the first concert performance of the piece um, the following year, (laughs) the quote is he expressed to the firm view that Stravinsky was insane <laughs> so that was his his verdict and and how old was he at this point uh, 1913 well so he wrote this piano concerto in 1896 and that was already oh, toward so the end of his much more, even playing much more career. modern than I thought yeah well so yeah I mean in 1896 I, I think he was seen as a little bit of a reactionary you know he he was writing the music that he liked hearing when he was younger. Um, sure. The premiere of Shostakovich's Fifth Symphony, you know, we that that in terms of the the Soviet authorities that totally restored him back to favor. You know, they at least officially they took it as a, you know, that was his <laughs> my fault. This is how this is how I'm going to compose from now on. And it was supposed to celebrate the, you know, the Soviet state and all that, uh, but also popular with the public. Now, people always wonder, is that because the public was really in on the joke? You know, they knew that he was sort of speaking out against the regime and and they were in on the joke and they, that's maybe a little, yeah, who, who can say, but apparently the ovation lasted the quote the ovation lasted well over half an hour 
the premiere by the Leningrad. I mean, I can see it. You so. know, the, it's a great ending. You know, the sterilized audiences now give us, you know, <laughs> three and a half minutes, and I'm sure <laughs> closer to thirty for. No. Well, I would have would have loved to have seen that and would have loved to know what the tempo was for the ending. Oh, you do remember the time with, um, was it Leonard Slatkin who had to take over for someone? We played it with someone in Chicago and they neglected ever to rehearse the transition. No, it was, it was to MTT. The... Oh, and he, okay. He sort of left it an open question whether it was going to be in four or in two. I don't think he ever got to the end. Oh, like we just ran out of time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I wasn't playing because I remember just hearing about it from you. He came home and I was like, how was it? He's like, well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> turned out he had never rehearsed the end. So, so half the people <laughs> did. Half the people did. Well, we're supposedly going to see him in just a few weeks right after the new year. Yeah. So, um, oh, geez. I hope so. Should I ask him about it? You probably shouldn't. <laughs> Do you remember that time <laughs> I'm sure that's best left in our recollections here. Okay, well, our, our last category, um, it's a little spare this time, but it's uh, pop culture uses of the music from the program. Oh, okay, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought we weren't going to oh. get to... I mean, I mean in existing pop culture uses. Yeah, so, you know, TV, films... Um, okay, well, I mean, the obvious. I mean, like, there's no cold... There's no awkward chinaria right, references I haven't, that haven't we know heard of. That in my favorite films. Yeah. Um, yeah, not not any of the ones we know about. So um, maybe the sound songs. Yeah, I I tried looking that up. I I couldn't get anywhere with that. Um, of, of course, it's the one we're leading to. Now this, huh? I'm I'm surprised this seems so obvious to you. It seems it, really. I mean, every for a while, you know, and it was like when I first noticed it, it was like. You know, hey, I know, you know, I noticed this. Like, I wonder if anybody else noticed this. And um, and then a couple other people were like, hey, you know, you're, you know, I was watching Clear and Present Danger. And, oh, okay. you know, and I was like, yeah, oh, my gosh, like totally stole, you know. And it was like, well, you know, some other people have noticed this. But um, but we just watched it a yeah. couple months ago. And it's, pre- <laughs> it's pretty blatant, the ripoff of the slogan. Right. Yeah. So it is not just to be clear, it's not actually... The Shostakovich Five, Third Movement, but it's it's so similar. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that similarity is called identity. (laughs) I mean, I really. I mean, it's just okay. I think there are a couple beats. Apologies (laughs) to the the composer of the of the film score, but yeah, there are a couple beats that are added. (laughs) Let's call him Jay Horner. Um. Yeah, there are a couple beats that are like inserted to make the measures not the same length as the, as the original, but, but it's, it's so striking. Yeah. It's to be. Well, they play that music when Harrison Ford's, he's like researching. You know, part of me was like, do they also play it? Like when it was like James Earl Jones involved in that. For some reason I I see his face, but um, when we saw it again, it's very clearly at least one use of, of that music that I'm Clear thinking. and present plagiarism. <laughs> yeah, you know, I told you I was sitting on stage playing it this week and I could, I could see Harrison Ford, you know, 
frantically flipping through the large <laughs> textbooks about um i think that's the janes laser guided missiles or what it was the janes catalog it's like oh the, is that a i don't know yeah I for the, wow i don't because there used to be a big series of computer games that was you know janes combat helicopters and janes this and that but anyway there was like manuals about the specifications of all these things yeah so he's like he's really like you know doing his harrison ford 90s movie <laughs> you know page flipping yep. very very urgent and uh and it's accompanied by this basically that is manly music direct yeah. ripoff of, <laughs> of shasta coach five slow movement yeah so now there it's is a great movie so if anybody you know wants to go back and see for themselves it's, yeah it's kind of see in it. here there is another movie um and this actually uses the real oh. you know Shostakovich five parts that? of the third and fourth movements i was now i i remembered it once i saw it but it's a movie we've only seen once and recently uh recently but, yeah the original rollerball starring james Kahn, 1975 Oh. They use the third and fourth movements. Because... Is it like because it's like the the crowd standing up cheering? Or yeah. Okay. So you know the, the it's a fantastic. Well, okay, fantastic is maybe overselling it a little bit. And they made a remake, which I refuse to see. But um, nineteen seventy five, James Con Rollerball. It's uh, you know thematically it works really well because it imagines this future where. The entire population is controlled by, in this case, it's not a government, it's corporations, but the corporations set the agenda for everybody. And the idea is that no, nobody should, no individual should sort of make themselves known or try to achieve anything. It's all supposed to be about the society, but in reality, these corporations just want all the power for themselves. So they try to mollify the general population with this brutal entertaining sport called rollerball and they they decide when the players who, who becomes you know the team captains and they they decide when players retire and they pay them well to do it and james Kahn starts becoming too much of a star so they tell him to retire and he refuses so he's he's that individual that's rising above the system and so yeah that's like they use this do you, you think it's intentional I do. Yeah, I think it was well put together. But yeah, um, I really think, you know, they used to use classical music very intelligently. Yeah. I don't know when we'll watch that movie again, but yeah, that that used the actual the uh, actual music. So. Okay. Yeah, no, no, you mentioned it. I'd forgotten about that though. Yeah. Cuz it fits so well. It does. I wonder if there was a spike in Shostakovich 5 recording sales. I know, is yeah. That the How... way that supposedly Mahler 5 has been boosted by tar. Uh, maybe yeah. we'll have to do a whole tar podcast. Might have to. I have to see it again, though. Okay. We did. We saw it in the theater. Yeah. Well, that'll just be called tar, discuss. Yeah. Well, we will. That'll do it for us today for this Stand Partners for Life. Uh, yeah. Do come back next week. We We look forward to revealing more secrets and uh we're starting to get into wagner this next week uh no tchaikovsky ah 
Yeah, we start with Nutcracker and then we... All right, Nutcracker it is. Then Wagner. <laughs> some, yeah, we got some weighty stuff, weighty stuff coming up. So please come back. Got to practice. Time to... <laughs> yeah, it's all stuff to practice. Not, not good sight reading. So, so join us next week, every Friday. Look forward to seeing you back here on Stand Partners for Life. Thanks so much. <laughs>